And since I prayed already, I'm going to kick right into it. So, here we go. Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, Renee hates when I do this, but here's the deal. Then, 23 is not a different date. Chapter 23 in your Bible does not mean it's a different day. It's just there to help break up the scripture so, you, so we know where to look things up. Because it's really, the gospel is really one long document. The, the verses and chapter divisions were added later, hundreds of years later. So in 23, we're just continuing from what happened last week. It's the same day. It's Wednesday. Jesus has just had a confrontation with religious leaders. They're done speaking because he's absolutely shut them down. And now he's turned to the people who were there too watching this happen, the crowds and the disciples. All right, so that's why he, the, the Pharisees, the religious, they're still there. But now he changes his focus. Okay, so that's why he says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the, his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. Huh. But not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. And if you have the NIV, it says they don't practice what they preach. You ever heard that phrase before? Well, it comes right here from Matthew 23. Do whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them, these burdens, with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, their tassels. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplace places, and being called rabbi but by others. But you, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ, the Messiah. The greatest among you shall be your servant, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Quite a passage, huh? And we'll walk through it because there's things to clear up, but let's, it's, it's a fairly straightforward practice or a, a passage. And, and if you want to boil it down to one thing, it's about hypocrisy, right? And he's challenging the people to, to recognize these, these, these religious leaders as fake, fraudulent, false shepherds, all right? And he challenges, but there's a challenge in, in here for us, too, to be people of integrity, right? Because that's really, if you're a hypocrite, it means you're double-faced, right? You're one way uh, in, in public and you're another way in private. You don't practice what you preach. To be someone with integrity, it means you're a whole, there's a wholeness to you. There's, you say one thing and you do the same thing that you say. It's, it's to be whole. That's what it, 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 integrity means, okay? Uh, Stuart Briscoe, he's a pastor, uh, tells of being hired by a bank when he was young, and he was new and just learning the business, and one day his boss told him, if Mr., doesn't matter, Mr. Jones, calls for me, tell him I'm out. Briscoe replied, oh, are you planning on going somewhere? 
No, I just don't want to uh, speak to him, so tell him I'm out. Let me make sure I understand. Do you want me to lie for you? The boss blew up at him. He was outraged, angered. Stuart prayed, and God gave him a flash of insight. You should be happy, because if I won't lie for you, isn't it safe to assume that I won't lie to you? So they have integrity. None of us wants to be, a, be called a hypocrite. Okay, and by the way, <laughs> I say this all the time, Christianity is not about being perfect, sinless. It's about growing and changing and sinning less, all right? So when I say that, that's what I'm talking about here. A hypocrite is someone who says they're perfect but is definitely not, okay? None of us wants to be called a hypocrite. Do you? Now, I see most of you doing this. That's good. I don't want to be either. How, have you, how many of you feel like a hypocrite at times? Oh, I do too, right? We get locked in sin. We are human beings who struggle with sin. That's what the Christian life is all about is fighting sin. If you're not a Christian, you can't fight sin, right? But as a Christian, you can now fight sin by the power of the Spirit, right? That's what the Christian life, it's a struggle. It's not easy. But we don't want to be a hypocrite. We want to be recognized that our words and our deeds actually match up. You see, Christians, make this clear, as followers and imitators of Jesus, we don't just adhere to a set of beliefs, okay? We're not like a club you join saying, that's the decree on the wall. I, I, I adhere to that, and I'm in the club, we have to believe a, a certain set of beliefs for sure about who Jesus is, why He came, and how we can be saved. You, we do have to have a, a certain set of beliefs we believe, but we also believe in a person. See, here's the, de- here's the deal. It's not Jesus and the gospel that we have to believe. We have to believe in Jesus because He really is the embodiment of the gospel. Do you get that? See, when we adhere to the gospel, we're really adhering to Jesus And being a Christian means to be a Christ follower. Not to have your Christ card in your back pocket, but to be a Christ follower who believes in Jesus and then says, I'm going to follow him with my life. What what does disciple mean? What does that word mean? Uh, It means, I heard different words and you're all right so far. A student of, follower I didn't hear what you said. You said something there, Patrick. A disciplined one, one who decide, is following a teacher. But here's the deal. In the Jewish mindset, it wasn't just, oh, I'm listening to this teacher. Boy, they're so smart. It's you also want to imitate them. You literally follow after them as they walk. They, they, there's a saying in, in Jewish circles back in the day that said that you wanted to get the dust of your rabbi on you. You followed him so closely. And, and so you have to understand that as Christians, we don't just believe in Jesus, we also want to imitate him because he's commanded us to. That's what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower, imitator, obeyer, okay? So, so if, we, if we are following him we, or we say we're followers and yet we live like the world, what does that make us? A hypocrite. And that's what we do not want to... <laughs> have as our character, all right, as our, as our ongoing character of life. If we are real followers of Jesus, and I say this, overall, in general, 
Over time, there is a process involved. Our walk will match our talk. You've heard some of these phrases before, right? We will be people of integrity, wholeness, a unity of both profession and action, the real deal. Okay? In today's passage, the issue of integrity stands out. For leaders, because that's who he's, he's pointing out to the people, he's pointing out these religious leaders, but here's the deal, it's not just for leaders today in the church, it certainly does apply, but it also applies to all of us, whether we have an official position of leadership in the church or not, okay? The word hypocrite and the, and the illustrations are found throughout chapter 3. We'll see even more. He, he, he does their contrast. He pronounces you know, woes on each on them, seven woes in, in the rest of chapter 23. But this morning, we're going to look at his initial warning. In verse 1, Jesus turns to the crowds who've been watching the debate and focuses on the character of these religious leaders who are standing right there that he has just had a confrontation with. Now he's turning to the crowds and addressing them now. And here's the deal. It is decision time for the crowds. See, they've been passively watching and listening. He's, he's, told, the, he's told the disciples and, and told, actually told the, the religious leaders parables about them, calling them out, saying, hey, you're not going to be in the kingdom. You're the disobedient son. Then there's a full-on confrontation where they start testing him with these questions, and he wins each one. And then he throws a question at them, and they, they can't answer it. So he's, it's been all between them, but now he's turning to the crowd saying, you've been watching this, and he has vindicated who he is. Because this all started at the triumphal entry. The Pharisees were mad at Jesus saying, hey, tell your disciples and tell the crowds to stop yelling what? What were they yelling when he was at the triumphal entry? Hosanna in the highest! Hey, the Messiah's here! God's saving us! Here's the Messiah! And they're saying, hey, the Pharisees, hey, don't, don't let them say that. He goes, if they don't say it, the rocks will cry out. And then he goes up onto the Temple Mount, their place, their headquarters, where they rule the roost. And he clears the temple, embarrassing them. He says, you, are, you guys aren't in charge of religious stuff here. You've turned it into a den of thieves. You're hindering worship. He's publicly, remember, there's hundreds of thousands of people there. And it was a huge spectacle. He had publicly humiliated them. And that's what this whole scene is about, them coming to him saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Where's your resume? Where's your training? And that's why they tried tripping him up with these questions. And he, he showed them, no, I got this covered. He has shown throughout his ministry, out amongst all of Israel, that he had the power and the righteous teaching. He had the credentials and he had proved it, but now he's at Jerusalem. He's not out in Israel. He's there at the central place on the Temple Mount, the one place in all the universe where you were allowed to worship through sacrifices, the Yahweh creator of the universe. It's a showdown, okay? And he has proved his point. He is vindicated, but he turns to the crowds and says, basically, it's decision time. So what he does now is, oh man, Jesus was a man of courage. He was a man of courage. 
And, and here's the deal. What he was presenting as far as the son of David, the Messiah, and that was clear from the, very, the last passage we looked at last week, is he unveiled to them, to these Pharisees and scribes, that out of Psalm 110, that the Messiah was more than just a man. That was the point of the passage that Jesus brought up. He says, hey, how come David calls his son, his descendant, the Messiah, how come he calls him Lord? And he quotes Psalm 110. And that's the whole sticking point, is that Jesus never claimed to just be a man who was a deliverer. He claimed to be the God-man, to, the ability to forgive sins, to raise the dead, things only God could do. The demons were afraid of him. These, these religious leaders just could not handle what he was doing. They were afraid of him. Today, as we look at this final confrontation and his last public remarks, chapter 23 is his last public to the crowds, to the religious leaders, his last remarks to this group of people. It's just 24 hours before he gets arrested, all right, and the trials begin. Let's, let's hear what he says about their character, but again, in the midst of it, we're supposed to be challenging ourselves. Do I fall prey to what these religious leaders have done myself, okay? So let's, we're going to be doing two things. We're going to look at what Jesus is confronting these religious leaders about, their character, but we're also supposed to ask, well, what about my character, okay? So let's, let's start looking through this uh, verse, one verse at a time. So uh, first one, in the first section is, is verses 1 through 7, where he's, he's warning the crowds, and he's revealing the character of these religious leaders. He exposes them as hypocrites. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, he's basically saying to them, okay, who are you going to follow? All right? The debate is over. Jesus has gained clear victory. They had challenged him, who do you think you are? And he says, well, here's who I am. <laughs> I know Torah. I'm righteous. I have the power. And you are now exposed as fake teachers. These religious leaders were exposed as frauds, sick shepherds. And he's going to the crowd, who are you going to follow? You've seen and heard, so what are you going to do? And he exposes them as basically religious leaders who have empty authority because of their hypocrisy. It was when he starts saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Okay, so that's, that's where, like, sit on Moses' seat. What does that mean? So in synagogues, they had a, a, a seat at the front. A synagogue was, the synagogues were all throughout Israel in the local villages, and that was basically their church, okay? And we, we actually model our church after how the synagogue was set up. And up in the front, they would stand to read the Scripture, and they would sit to teach. And when they sat, there's usually a chair up front called Moses' seat. Why is it called Moses' seat? Because that's where you explain Scripture. Because when Moses delivered Scripture, he would, he would teach the people. He would expound Scripture. And, and that was the authority he had. See, if you're in, in God's people, your authority, if you had authority in Israel, it wasn't supposed to be because you had the, the biggest sword Okay, or because you were, you know, the most popular persons because you adhered to the word of God. They sat in Moses' seat. All right. So he's 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 saying, look, we have to understand again before we start walking through this. He's we have to understand. Like here, we have what's called separation of what. 
church and state. Israel was not set up that way. It never was. The whole point in Israel is that the king had to be a worshiper of God. The king could not take the role of the priest. The priest, if the king was acting sinfully, the priest, the high priest, was allowed to confront the king. And the king had to submit to the word. That's the way it was supposed to be set up. God was the true ruler of Israel. And it wasn't just the king and the priest that had to standard the word. Everyone was supposed to be about the word. Deuteronomy 6, that famous passage about parents. Hey, when you, you know, your children go to bed at night and when, they're, you know, when they wake up in the morning and during the day, you're supposed to be talking about Scripture. Scripture was a part of, of all of Israel. There was no separation of church and state. So when they said that they sat on Moses' seat, it means that they had position of power and authority given by God in the life of Israel, okay? So let's, let's talk about more what he says about this, okay? So that's the first thing to understand about Moses' seat here. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees, and so real quick tidbit, we've talked about them a lot. Scribes were the ones who actually wrote down Scripture to make copies for the next one because the Torah scrolls would wear out. So they would copy it real diligently, and they were the legal experts. What does the law say about? The Pharisees, many of them were scribes, but the Pharisees were like the theological party that had also political uh, power too. They're the ones who would say, okay, we've got the Scriptures, but it was written at this point 1,500 years ago, and we've got to make sure that we honor Torah. That was their goal. When they started having all these traditions, rabbi teaching this, rabbi teaching that about the scriptures, the whole point was how can we make it applicable in everyday life? That's what I do. What the Pharisees, their original goal was actually the right one. How can we take the ancient word, bring it into common, every, into our day today, and then honor it because God deserves to be obeyed? Their original goal is we would, we would fit, if it was before Jesus' time, we would be in the Pharisaic party because of their original goal. But by the time of Jesus, they had all these traditions. Rabbi said, do this. Rabbi said, do that. And they had all these traditions. They called it a, a fence around Torah because we want to make sure we honor Torah. But it had gotten so big, it become a huge burden there are rules everywhere. Well, if you have this much of, of mint, this herb of mint, you have to tithe this much. And if you do this on that day, it's just, they had rules everywhere. So by the time of, of Jesus, that's why his main opponents were the Pharisees. Because he says, you guys have been teaching the externals. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Remember that? Going back a few chapters, it says, you guys are all about external righteousness, but you're missing the heart of the law. That's what the Sermon on the Mount was all about. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. You have heard, you have heard it was said, don't murder. Well, that was right. But I tell you, if you hate your brother and you call him a fool, you are a murderer at heart. He was exposing the heart of the word. The Pharisees, many of the religious leaders were all about the external obedience but not really obeying and loving God from the heart and loving people. So, so these are the main, main opponents, the ones who hated Jesus the most because they saw him as a threat to their power, their prestige, their position, and ultimately 
they thought if this guy leads a revolution, the Romans are going to crush us, so they, and they would lose their, the, lose their nation. So they did not want to follow this Jesus. And this is who Jesus is confronting, well, warning the people now very directly. They have the position of Moses' seat because they teach God's Word. That's appropriate. They should be teaching. If you're a shepherd of Israel, you should be teaching God's Word. All right? But then verse 3, look what he says. So do and observe whatever they tell you. If you've been reading the gospel at all, if you remember back our sermons, how does this make you go, what? Why does that shock you? <laughs> exactly, because he had warned them earlier, hey, don't do what these Pharisees tell you to do. Is Jesus contradicting himself? No, it's, what's, what's implied here is that when they sit in Moses' seat, because again, when they sat down in the synagogue to teach, they had just read from the Torah scroll. They had just read scripture. So he's implying that when they teach about scripture, scripture will obey that. We, we are, don't, he's basically saying, don't let their legalism, their traditions get in the way of doing what we're all supposed to do, honoring God by obeying his word. All right. But here's where he goes on to say, all right, he says this, but the works they do, but not the works they do. Why? For they preach, but do not practice. So when they teach out of God's word and they teach accurately, well, obey that because that's God's word. But don't imitate them. Why? Because they're not obeying it. That's sad. Please say yes, that's sad. <laughs> right? Whatever they tell you to do with God's word that aligns with God's word, obey that. Okay? But be discerning is what he's saying discern that they might be teaching the right thing, but they're not doing it, so don't imitate them. And that's so sad, okay? So here's, that, here's a big takeaway for today for us, all right? Seek to sit under the accurate teaching and preaching of God's Word. Now, you're here, many of you come here all the time, so I hope that's what we're doing, all right? But here's the deal. You also listen. You also listen to radio stations, with lots of talk, radio, from different pastors, so-and-so. You guys, you have to be careful what you listen to. A lot, there's so many shows that I will listen to on Air, Air yeah, the Air One, or on uh, 99.5 K, what is that one? KKL at every call, I forget all these. But I'll listen to them, and, and some of them are good, but there's a lot of bad stuff on there, you guys. Totally unbiblical, or even goes against Scripture. Just because it's on a Christian radio station does not mean it is good. It just means that they have airtime that they could pay for. You have to be discerning. And, and I'm not your discernment. I'm only helpful for your discernment as I do what? As your pastor. As I teach and preach God's word. Well, I tell people, look, if you're listening to something and it sounds, huh? Pay attention to that. It might be that you, hey, you got something to learn there, that's fine, you, but you always go to what? Scripture. And then to check on that, you should go to a trusted Christian, older Christian friend who is mature and ask their opinion. And, and, then, and, and certainly I would hope you'd want to talk to me as your pastor, I mean, I've had some training, but let's say I say something that you're like, huh? Well, talk to a trusted Christian friend, talk to Patrick, talk to Scott, 
But you guys, don't just accept it because you hear it on a Christian radio station or even just from me in the pulpit. In in essence, the pulpit is the equivalent of Moses' seat because I'm expounding, I'm exegeting God's word to bring into the day, to bring obedience, okay? But just because I say it doesn't mean you just accept it automatically. You should check God's word. That's why you should be growing in knowing God's word for yourself, okay? Because you also have something that I have. You know what that's called? The Holy Spirit who lives inside you, who's called the teacher. And if you feel like, huh, that doesn't sound right, you should, I call that like in the football game, sorry, Kathleen, if they throw yellow flags for if there's a foul. Okay, got it. So, you know, when there's a yellow flag, if if there's bells and whistles going off, pay attention. It might be the Holy Spirit saying, hey, something's wrong here. Pay attention to that. Don't just let it go by. And then dig into the Word, ask for some help, and let's talk about it, okay? So that's, that's so important. But here's the deal. It's not just teaching, but it's also he's making a big point. He's saying, look, when they teach correctly, do it, but don't imitate them. Here's the deal. If you know my life is going sideways, or I might be able to teach it, but if you know my life is going sideways, what should you do? Call me out. I'm going to jump. I'm going <laughs> to. Okay, wait, I've given way too, much, <laughs> way too much freedom here. No, the point is, is you're right. Look, if my life does not match up with God's word, I should not be your pastor. Now, again, when I say this, I am not going to be perfect. Never have been, never will be. But I should be growing. I should be, as should you. That's why this passage is so important. We need to make sure that we are sitting under the accurate teaching of God's word, but it also involves living. False teachers will always have two things wrong. They'll either be false in their teaching or false in their living, sometimes both. If you see fruit that smells and is rotten, pay attention to it, okay? That's that's really what Jesus is talking about here, okay? Are we clear on that? Because I'm not above you, you guys. You are equally indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have your own gifts and abilities. Mine just happens to be I get to be speaking to you. I have a gift of teaching. And hopefully I can help you understand God's word better and walk in his ways. And together we walk as his followers. And that's really what he jumps down to at the verses 8 through 12. That's what he's saying. But the leaders of his time, the religious leaders, were abusing their position. They loved the power, the prestige, and making people do things, but they had no compassion. Their lives stunk, and they actually taught inaccurately. And that's what he's confronting here in front of all the people. Because remember, they have only known until Jesus came along, all they knew was Pharisees and scribes leading the religious life. And here's Jesus coming along saying, no, that's wrong. And he has proved it over three years, but it's all come to a head here on the Temple Mount. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. He doesn't stop there, though. He goes on. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. He says, watch out for these legalistic, hypocritical teachers. They're self-centered, self-focused, who abuse the word of God and the people of God. 
They had taken the law, and by the way, the law was to show God's ways and to help people walk in His ways, but they had turned it into an overwhelming burden. Isn't it funny, in Matthew 11, what does Jesus tell people? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, not that of the Pharisees. Take mine, for I am gentle. Oh, my goodness. See, here's the deal. These Pharisees, these scribes were so self-centered, self-focused, they wanted people to do what they said, and then when people are struggling to try to obey all this, instead of saying, well, no, it's okay, let's help you figure this out, you know, you know because the Christian life is about learning and growing. You know, if, I, if I'm working with a new believer, I don't expect them to know everything. Heck, I'm still learning. And I've been at this for a long time now. <laughs> they should be more mature, but I'm not. But the point is, is that they weren't, these, they weren't even willing to take this huge load and give even just a little help with their finger to lift that load. There's no compassion, no mercy. They were graceless leaders. They're hypocrites because they weren't practicing what they preach, but they wouldn't even help people either. They were without compassion. And that's the essence of legalism. Here are the rules. You obey them, uh, but I'm not going to. Right? They're all about external obedience at best, but a heart that was not devoted to loving and serving God. They wanted to be served and honored by people. They're seeking the praise of men, Jesus goes on to say. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Look at me. Look how good I am. Not to God, but to people. They wanted to be seen and noticed. Their deeds were purely motivated by selfishness. I want praise from men, not to honor and please God. You know that we're supposed to be living our lives to please God? Does that mean that, we are, that He is not pleased by us generally? No, we're his children. If you're a Christian, you're his child. But we're, we're to live because we want to bring delight to him. When, as a parent, I, I love my kids. But when they do things to help at home, and now they're older, it's different, right? But as, when they're young, they'd make me a, you know, I have some of these old cards where they'd write me, Happy Father's Day, and you could barely read it, and the picture was, you know, barely intelligible. But what do they do to my heart? Yeah, totally. 20 years later, I still have those cards. I just dug some out the other day. We're, we're trying to downsize and clean up, and we're digging up this old stuff, and it's just it's so fun. We're trying to throw away stuff. We end up keeping more than we should. But, but the point is, is that, see, we're supposed to be living to please God, to bring Him pleasure, not to earn His love, because we've got that in Christ Jesus. But they, these Pharisees, had, that wasn't their goal at all. They wanted to be pleased, serve me. They were self-righteous, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Okay, so, oh, I left it back there. I was going to take a Bible, and I was going to put it on my forehead like this, and then put it right here, okay? So that's, that was the image. I, sorry, Arthur, I forgot that. It's in the back. He thought he said that was a good idea. So a phylactery, what it was was these little boxes, okay? Because there's a couple passages in the Old Testament Deuteronomy 6 is one of them. It's also an 11. There's a couple other places where it says that you're supposed to, you know, have God's word on your forehead and have it on your hand or on your forearm, okay? 
the point of that, in your, the little box was called a phylactery, okay? The point, the point of that is that God's Word was supposed to influence your thinking. It was supposed to be metaphorical. We see it in Proverbs, right? Right, you know, have God's steadfast love on your, on your uh, what is it, forehead is Proverbs 3, and write, write, you know, His commandments on the tablet of your heart. Well, that's metaphorical speech, right? It's to make a point. It should be a part of how we think and how we live, and, and that's all that. But they had taken this, these passages so literally, they had these little boxes about an, about an inch long, and they put little scrolls inside with God's commandments in them, and they would wear them. And, and, and they'd have them here on their forearm. And again, remember, the word was supposed to influence your thinking, your decision-making. And then why the hand? Because the hand is what you do. That's how your instrument of doing. So the word is supposed to influence how you think and what you actually do. That's the point of Deuteronomy 6 and, and 11 and all that. They had taken it literally and they'd walk around, but they made sure people would see them so they'd make their boxes bigger. I was in Israel a couple times, and I saw these Hasidic Jews, Sephardic Jews, wearing these boxes and having them strapped around their arms. And there's, there's significance for how many times you have the leather wrapped around you. It's amazing. It's external legalistic obedience that is void of life. But they wanted to be seen. Look how religious I am. Notice me. They, had, they wanted religious prominence. They're fringes. It says they're fringes or tassels in some of the Bibles. That what it was is every, every faithful Jewish man had a, had a prayer shawl, and they had, you're supposed to have four tassels on the corners, and they were, they were supposed to be blue or whatever. But the point was to remind them, hey, you're supposed to live by the commandments of God. That's all. It was, just a, it was a reminder to all Jewish men. Jesus, it says Jesus wore one, several passages. But they made their tassels longer. Look at me. I'm a son of the commandments. <laughs> Seriously, you guys. Again, I, I can bring up, I brought this up last week. But again, these are the guys who when they gave at the temple, they didn't just put in, you know, a few big coins. They, they broke down these coins. They went from, they didn't put in a $100 bill. They got the $100 bill in quarters and then started dropping them. These big vases. So what would happen in these, in these big jars? Clink, 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 clink. Oh, oh. Oh, someone must be giving a lot of money, and so everyone would look. You guys, that's exactly the picture. That's the way they were. And here's the deal. This criticism Jesus is leveling at them, this was not only Jesus. There's actually, there's actually in, in, in some of the rabbinic writings or Jewish writings where they would make fun of these very same kind of Pharisees. Let me read you. There's seven. Where is it? So here's, here, he's not alone. Uh, let's see, there's seven, they had seven different kinds of Pharisees that are discussed, all right? Uh, one of them, it's six of them are bad. One is called the shoulder Pharisee, okay, who wore his good deeds on his shoulder so everyone could see them. Two, there was the wait a little Pharisee. They always found an excuse for putting off a good deed. I have to wait a little later, right, to obey and do something right. There's the bruised Pharisee who shut his eyes to avoid seeing a woman and knocked into walls, bruising himself. So as he knocks into walls, what do people think? Oh, he's trying to be so godly. He doesn't want to cast a wayward eye. That's the bruised Pharisee. There's the humpbacked Pharisee, always walked bent double in false humility. Oh, I'm so human. You see, there, that, this is from other Jewish writings, not from Jesus. So Others, others in Jewish society saw this and saw their hypocrisy. 
There's the ever-reckoning Pharisee who is always counting up the numbers of his good deeds. There's the fearful Pharisee who always quaked in fear of the wrath of God. Maybe the victim Pharisee, I don't know what you call that. But then there was the seventh Pharisee that people recognized. It was a God-loving Pharisee that, who copied Abraham, who lived a life of faith and charity. Okay? So Jesus isn't really introducing anything really new, but he's doing it publicly. He's doing it in front, on the Temple Mount. These are the head Pharisees, the head scribes, the Sanhedrin. Their court is right there. Hundreds of thousands of people. The high point in Jewish life, in the Jewish calendar of all the feasts, is right then. He's doing this in front, and he's calling them out. What are my notes? They're self-righteous. They're self-important. That's where he starts. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. I mean, I could talk more about that, but that's the point there is that they want to be recognized. And greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. They wanted not just religious prominence, they wanted public prominence. Hey, when I go to the grocery store, I want to be known. Yeah. You guys, again, as silly as it might look doing this, that's exactly what their hearts were displaying. Look at me. Notice me. Honor me. Boy, Jesus was exact opposite, wasn't he? A bruised reed he would not break, a smoldering wick he wouldn't snuff out. Jesus was the gentle shepherd, but he called people out boldly for their fake hypocrisy, their religious hypocrisy. But he would call it out of the leaders because they were the ones who were supposed to be the example of servants' hearts devoted to God and wanting to love and serve others. Today, note these mark of false teachers, these sick shepherds, these frauds, these fakes. Guys, I know I'm using a lot of words to hammer this home, but this is exactly what he's doing. It's unmistakable. This is why they were so angry and became murderers. They teach in error and their lives lack integrity. The Word of God is the authority, not self-promotion, not personality, not supposed credentials, not the number of followers on Instagram, no slick-talking leaders. True, godly men are humble shepherds who love God, who know and teach and themselves obey God's Word, who love and care for others. Those are the ones you're supposed to follow. And this is where he turns to his, he says, look at, watch out for them. But then he says, now you, folks, but you are not to be called rabbi. Wait a second. Whoa, 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 hold on. He's changing something here. Okay, just, just listen to this and then we'll, we'll discuss it. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Okay, we have in the church pastors and elders. What? Am I, am I disobeying what Jesus is saying here? You should be asking that. He's saying it, so let's, are we interpreting this correctly? Well, let's, let's talk about it. 
First of all, it's not a blanket statement against leadership in the church. How do I know? There we go. The, the clear New Testament scriptures that actually say, hey, you're supposed to have pastors and elders in the church and you're supposed to submit to their leadership. What he is talking about is you're not to have leaders who have a place of prominence and power who don't teach the Word of God and who don't live the Word of God. Okay, because remember, these false leaders were abusing the people. They had power over them. He's not against leadership in church, just the self-aggrandizing leadership, legalistic, externally pious, self-promoting, seeking an honor, seeking honor and power over people. He's saying, watch out for them, avoid them, and don't follow them. That word rabbi, that just meant, you know, master teacher, one who I follow kind of thing. And father, it's not talking about the word father meaning don't call anyone father except for, you know, he's saying because what they did, when they had a rabbi they really respected or, or an elder over the people, they, they would call them fathers, a sign of respect, okay? And, and then instructor, okay? Actually, in here, this, the Greek is kind of fun because Jesus is starting to do some word plays in here, but I won't get into that. It's, he's such a good teacher. His point is saying, look, you shouldn't have people who are, have this kind of power that you just blindly follow, if, they, if they're not teaching God's word and not living God's word, they're fakes. Here's the deal. In the church, the only authority that Chris Brunzeel has in this church is if I teach and preach and live God's word. That's the only authority I have. And I can't tell you what to do. I can tell you what God tells you to do, Right? We are all equals. If you're a Christian, whether you just became a Christian today or you've been a Christian 40 years or 10 years or whatever, we are equals. We are equal in the eyes of God. So why does he have elders and pastors? Because we're more spiritual? Everyone say no. Please say no. It's just the, play. <laughs> it's the part I get to play in the body of Christ. Now, in, in several passages, it does say those who are elders, that, that's, again, elder is the office, pastor is what I do. We've just taken the title pastor and made it the title of my office. Just guess you should be calling me elder. <laughs> I don't want to be called that. Please hear that. <laughs> but the point is, is that elders in the church, whether a full-time elder who gets paid or a part-time elder who <laughs> doesn't get paid, sorry, sorry, Patrick, thanks for doing that, or Scott or Sam before, yes, here's the deal. There are character uh, qualities that have to be there. There is content that has to be there, but there's also a skill, and that is to teach. As a matter of fact, uh, let's go to the next one. I'm kind of skipping over a lot. Keep going. So character, content, and competence. How's that? I got all the C's in there. So proud of myself. So character. Generally, my life is to be above reproach, not perfection. But I'm supposed to be growing as a man of God with respect to my family, in the workplace, uh, as I'm out amongst people. If I don't have a good reputation and there's sin you can point to that's ongoing and unrepentant, what should you be doing? In my face, yellow flagging me. You should talk to me individually, and if I don't repent and change, you should talk to 
Since I'm a leader, actually, there's different, there's different steps to take with the leader. It needs to go to the elders quicker. You should be talking to Patrick and Scott to find out if it's actually true. <laughs> He's going to have a huge crowd around him now. Oh, well. But the point is, you guys, here's the deal. Character. Need to be showing I'm growing as a Christian. Content. I do need to know God's Word. That is my source of, of authority. Again, not power over you, but my authority in this body. And the last part is competence. I, I have to be able to teach and preach and apply it to life. And also to protect the flock so that if a false teacher comes in here, it says in Titus, I'm supposed to be able to refute those who contradict. And in Acts 28, it says, I'm supposed to spot the wolves. And what do you do to a wolf that's amongst sheep? <laughs> I love this body. <laughs> hey, Paul. Paul, you guys got to read, when he starts talking about false teachers in the flock, he did not spare anything. He says, get them out right away. He says, I hand them over to Satan, those who are causing the body. So all that being said is that, look, the qualities of an elder, it's, it's, it's not because I'm more spiritual than you. Please know that. You are equal in your worth and value in the eyes of God. This is just the part I get to play in this body, all right? Again, but let's start, let's move down this because it's really, beyond this, it's really straightforward, okay? The greatest among you shall be your servant. Didn't Jesus say this before? You want to be great in the eyes of God, what do you do? Serve. Serve who? Serve others. And automatically, as soon as you hear that, what should you be asking? Who am I serving? Am I self-serving or am I really helping others? Who am I helping? When have I done it? I, I, just so you know, when I read, I ask that about myself. We should. That's what God's Word says. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. That's pretty straightforward. You exalt yourself, who's going to humble you? God is. It says, it's, James 4 is a great place. It says, those who lift themselves up, God will put down. I don't want to be in that position because he's going to win and it's going to hurt. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, does it mean we have to walk around like this, like the bent over Pharisee? No, no. Humility. What does humility mean? The picture is that you're not self-promoting. You're looking, how can I be a blessing to others? Because they're valuable and beloved by God, and how can I help, help them? That's it. So our thing, so what? One, we, gotta, we have to sit under the Word of God. We need to be, make sure we have good leadership that we follow. But then the other side is, am I a hypocrite? Are my li- is my life matching up? Am I, am I walking what I'm talking? Am I imitating Jesus? Do I look more and more like Jesus? Because Romans 8, 28 and 29 says that is God's goal for us. Our picture of maturity is what we're looking more and more like Jesus. Not on Sundays, folks. Oh, I'm here on time. Oh, it's good for you. <laughs> it's during the week, in the private times. Are you looking more and more like Jesus? In your conversations with those closest to you, are you sounding more and more like Jesus? At work, are you sounding more and more like Jesus? Are you cutting corners? Are you doing something illegal, hoping you don't get caught? Am I looking and sounding more and more like Jesus, right? 
Guys, you guys, please hear this. This is not like this. See my finger pointing at you? It's not like that. It's like this. <laughs> we have to ask that. May that be true. Amen? Let's pray and then we'll have our final song. God, thank you. Lord, thank you. Even as we talk about this, it can get convicting. Right away we can look at, at things in our lives. I know I can, Lord, where I have to keep submitting it to you and praying for your forgiveness and repentance. But Lord, it just highlights that, that you are at work in me and in your followers, and you've promised to be at work and to complete that work. And we get to see every day your mercy, your patience, your grace, and your love. You have what's called steadfast love. It's a love that's anchored to who you are and what you promised, and not on our performance. So thank you for your love, for your grace, your mercy in Christ Jesus on the cross and every single day as our Savior is also our high priest who every day is our advocate, our defense lawyer. Every day calls us to, to himself for help and grace and mercy in our time of need. So thank you. Lord, help us to be people who are growing, whose, whose walk matches our talk. Lord, so that we can bring you more glory as people see lives that are transformed and are being, being transformed. And they would wonder, why are these people like this? What is the hope they have? I want the same. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.